2: What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel and Jack, the Nets suffer another loss tonight. 124-108 to the Philadelphia 76ers. How are we feeling, Jack?
1: Yeah, I don't know what's worse, Nick. This world ankle I did yesterday playing basketball or watching the last half of that Sixers game. <laughs>
2: Uh, Jack, I thought you would probably still be feeling good from Katie liking your tweet yesterday. So that, that's some sad news on the ankle sprain. But uh, no Kevin Durant tonight, no Kyrie Irving. We'll jump into the details of the game. But as always, you can find us on all streaming platforms, including OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But like I mentioned, Jack. No Kyrie, no KD tonight. Uh, KD dealing with the safety protocol, in which we discussed a lot yesterday, and Kyrie being out with a sprained index finger, and it was pretty much all on James Harden, and that wasn't enough today, considering the net supporting cast.
1: Yeah, the net supporting cast was, let's just say, left a lot to be desired. You know, James Harden did all that he could: have 26 points, uh, eight rebounds, ten assists in 29 minutes. Do you think, Nick? I saw a little bit of chatter on Twitter. Do you think that Steve Nash not electing to play him in the fourth quarter when the Nets were down, what, 10 to 13 or something around that sort of range was the right decision to sort of save his legs because he has been playing, you know, a lot of elevated minutes of late? Or do you think that it was the right decision because, look, ultimately the game was getting out of hand anyway?
2: Yeah, I think it was the right decision. I think you leave that second unit, that bench unit in, and let them try to continue to fight because they got there being scrappy. You know what I mean? It wasn't like they were executing at an extremely high level or anything like that. And I think Philadelphia was a little bit lax. So it was like, okay, let this second unit get into the game. And be honest, like I think James Harden looked frustrated. He looked a little fatigued out there. Even probably the same thing for, I would say, Jeff Green, who's been playing a lot of minutes. You know, get those guys some rest and an opportunity where you're probably not going to win the game if you put James Harden, Joe Harris and DeAndre and Jeff Green back out there. i say roll with the second unit. And if they were able to get it within, you know, seven or something even a little bit closer, I think Philadelphia still kept them at a pretty comfortable range.
1: Yeah, it was basically that third quarter that did it, Nick. And, you know, the next stars were out there during that period. Uh, There was a lot of lazy turnovers, um, just a a really sloppy basketball. But there were moments throughout the game where there was, you know, good energy, good hustle from the second unit sort of getting them uh, back to the ascendancy and then James Harden doing what James Harden does well. But overall, you know, this was to be expected. But uh, some really nice moments from Landry Shaman as well against his former team, Nick.
2: Yeah, Landry Shaman, I thought, had a nice game tonight. He looked confident, had some opportunities to handle the ball. He kind of led that second unit. And like you said, a revenge game against his former team. Hopefully, this is something that kind of gets Shamit going moving forward. Like, 17 attempts tonight, uh, field goal attempts, 13 three-point attempts, like, that's probably more than he's had in the last three games combined. So, this is just an opportunity for him to kind of get fresh, feel comfortable, and I think this should help him moving forward.
1: Yeah, he looked good with the ball in his hands. You know, 22 points, three rebounds, three assists, like you mentioned, all the attempts there, Nick. You know, I'll, I'll probably have a look after we record here what his numbers have been like and sort of like the last five to seven games, because he looks like he has been getting his footing. And, you know, it's going to be, I think, with the Nets' lack of depth at this point in time, I think Landry Shamet's role uh, and importance is only going to be elevated.
2: Yeah, I think he's done enough, especially over these last few games, and then just his history over the last two seasons, to be like, all right, you feel comfortable and confident that he should be able to get into a role where he can play NBA minutes, at least when you need him to. I think he's one guy where, you know, he didn't start well, but there was always hope that he'd kind of turn into the player we expected. And we're kind of starting to see that. We talked about it in the last game, I think he went four or nine, you know, tonight seven to 17, not necessarily great efficiency, but just the confidence out there and just some of the rhythm. There were a couple of plays where Matisse uh, thigh ball picked his pocket, which is never great, but in most situations, he's really only going to be a secondary ball handler at most.
1: Yeah, no, definitely, and and I think that, you know, I think the important thing is assessing this roster in terms of championship caliber. You know, can Landry Shaman be championship caliber for ten to fifteen minutes? I think that the signs are at least promising, and you know, I've mentioned time and time again, you know, how many guys do the Nets have right now to sort of that could you know, truly contribute um, in in postseason basketball. You know, there's the five reliable guys in the in the closing lineup that we know have a ridiculous net rating and, and put up ridiculous numbers, including the two superstars that were, that were missing. And then you've got DJ, Bruce Brown, Landry Shamit—a sort of maybe one guy, if you put them all together, it's like 0.3 of a yeah. player each, depending on you know who's sort of performing on the night.
2: Yeah, you almost feel like you kind of want Shamit to be your 10th man. You know what I mean? Like, you don't need to play him every night, but he's he's a guy you can bring off the bench that could give you a three-point spark or even your ninth man. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think he's necessarily a guy you want to depend on a lot, especially because defensively there's at times he's a liability. He had a couple nice plays tonight, but he just lacks that size and already a team that has defensive weaknesses. It's hard to play another player like, like that out there. That's why it's a little easier with Bruce Brown. I think Bruce Brown also just like that extra hustle on the, on the boards and things like that gives you a plus because the offense is so good. You can afford to have a player out there that has some offensive weakness.
1: Yeah. With the, in the absence of the Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, You know, the the elevated role for Landry Shaman is obvious because he's a much more talented offensive player than Bruce Brown is, which is why Bruce Brown generally does fit better alongside, you know, when the Nets are at the the fully capable and healthy best. But even in saying that, I thought Bruce Brown was decent enough tonight. You know, uh, 20 minutes tonight had seven points, uh, four boards, uh, two dimes as well. I thought that you know, the hustle plays in the second quarter as well from him and, and that second unit were really what got the team going and, and got them back into the game.
2: Yeah, I think Bruce Brown is solid. You know what I mean? Like he didn't have a, a game breaker. You know, he wasn't amazing, impactful, but he played his role. He did his thing. He didn't do anything extraordinary, but didn't necessarily do anything negative. And I think that's what you want from a role player. And I think, you know, that's a conversation we could either have tonight or later on in terms of some of the other role players in this team where they don't necessarily fit on a championship roster because their play is so sporadic and there's not really a baseline.
1: Yeah, I think Bruce Brown in most of his performances this year, other than maybe one or two post-game recaps that we've done, Nick has been steady and you know provides beyond the box score. Whereas you know Landry Shaman, you know he needs to have that three-ball falling TLC. Uh, he needs to have, show a modicum of, of basketball IQ, defense, uh, and the three-ball falling as well. Whereas you know the the other the, the Nets don't have uh, quality role players like they used to. They don't have. You know, even Toy and Prince and Spurts, uh, Carol Severna is a sort of six man, you know, Jared Allen as your sort of defensive anchor. The Nets uh, are missing those guys uh, in terms of the depth that they have lost. And obviously, there will hopefully be moves made sooner rather than later. We did see the, the debut of the Norvell Pell experience, Nick found out in 17 minutes, had five boards, uh, a couple of blocks as well, uh, a couple of bunnies missed. Uh, uh, you don't need to necessarily tell the listeners what you told me uh, behind the scenes in the DMs. But uh, what did you think of Norvell Pell's debut against his former team and for the Brooklyn Nets?
2: Yeah, just say one more thing about Bruce Brown, too, is I think the great thing about Bruce Brown is he understands who he is in the NBA and what his role is on this team. And I think that's important. Some of the other guys don't get that. And Norvell Pell, you know, obviously not a very promising opening game for the Nets in terms of what we saw out there. I think the missed layups were disappointing. The fouls weren't great. You know, the basketball IQ wasn't necessarily there. His feel for the game just really didn't strike me as somebody who can instantly help. I think it's going to take some time. Maybe, you know, it's just a first game. He doesn't have a rhythm or a feel for his teammates. But based off of what I've known about Norvell Pell from just asking Sixers fans and seeing, you know, some of the tape on him, I wouldn't necessarily get my hopes up for him, you know, saving this team or even necessarily being the backup center this team needs.
1: No, he's a, a a Reggie Perry replacement who obviously was uh, sent down to the G League bubble uh, in Long Island. Hopefully, he gets some good. Reps tonight, down he there. wasn't
2: much better than Reggie Perry. No, yeah, that, yeah
1: it, it's it it's it's certainly negligible. You know, the highlight blocks are certainly fun, but Reggie Perry is quite good in the perimeter defensively, as we've mentioned before, for a, a young rookie, and you know provides a level of I think he he has much more polish than Norvel Pell does. You know. I think Norvell Pell is, is incredibly raw, uh, a decent enough athlete, but, um, you, you know, you could tell that he hasn't played basketball in quite a while. He was missing some some bunny layups and dunk attempts here and there, but um, hopefully the Nets, you know, get a JaVale McGee or whoever else it is, an Andre Drummond, uh, sooner rather than later. We'll see how, when and how, if those moves are made, because, yeah, Norvell Pell is probably just going to be your sort of pinch hitter. And, you know, DeAndre wasn't doing, you know, he's sort of, I mean, DeAndre Jordan is DeAndre Jordan.
2: Yeah. And just one more thing on Norvell Pell and Reggie Perry. I think you nailed it, Jack. I think Norvell Pell is a great athlete, where Reggie Perry is more of a basketball player. If you
1: combine both of them, Nick, yeah. we've got a backup center.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree, Jack. That would be great if we could combine those. We've kind of talked about this. Maybe Nicholas Claxton, when he's healthy, can fill in that role. And that'd be ideal right there, given in the flashes we saw from him last year.
1: Yeah, big time. Uh, it, it, I think that would
0: be been- Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Obviously an obvious replacement. I think if you almost combine Reggie Perry and Norval Pell, you'd probably have Jermaine McGee in, in some sort of fashion.
2: Yeah, you might. I mean, you might even have a little bit better player just because I think, like you mentioned, Reggie Perry has a little skill to his game. I think his feel for the NBA isn't quite there yet, which is obvious for a rookie, especially a second-rounder. But, like, there's some promise with his game. And if he had the height or the athleticism of Norval Pell, I think Reggie Perry would probably even have a higher ceiling.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, he uh, you, you hit the nail on the head there, Nick. But...
0: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.
1: Um, alluded to DeAndre Jordan, 27 minutes, 6 points, 4 assists, 7 boards, uh, some decent lob plays and, and connections with James Harden, but um, I always ask you to give me a ranking out of 10, Nick, of, of DJ. A bubble below average, I guess I'll just ask for that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's tough because, like, I didn't think DeAndre was that bad in the first half. Obviously, he has his moments where he looks super slow in that third quarter. The whole team kind of looked bad. So I'd probably say probably a four or five. You know, I don't think it was anything terribly bad, but I don't think it was anything great either because this is kind of almost the expectation we have for DeAndre at this point in time. Joel Embiid's going to get the best of him because Joel Embiid's going to literally get the best of almost every center in the league.
1: No, exactly. Joel Embiid is the, one of the two best centres in the league right now um, and is absolutely balling and playing like an MVP. And DeAndre Jordan is certainly not going to be the matchup you want in the postseason. If the the Nets were to come up against the Sixers in the Eastern Conference Finals, there's going to have to be some upgrades made there. And, you know, we know how uh, Joel Embiid likes to play against Andre Drummond and... Ain't a lot of games, so I'm not necessarily uh, looking forward to Andre Drummond uh, backing up and, and then hopefully we'll, we'll wait and see, I guess, Nick. But yeah, I, on DeAndre Jordan, I, I thought that he was okay. He looks okay offensively, but he just doesn't move vertically unless it's a lob. Like, just why? You can jump for lobs jump for a board. Like, yeah. what's the difference, Nick? Like, I'm, I'm, is there a difference? Like, why can one person jump for one certain specific basketball play, but not another?
2: Yeah, I really don't get it. I just like, he lacks the drive on the end of the floor, especially in terms of just like the rebounding and, you know, blocks at the rim or even just verticality in general. Like you hardly ever see him really do that anymore. So, I mean, DeAndre just needs to get energized. Maybe 26 minutes is too much for him. I don't really understand the situation there. But like you said, you know, even if it, the Nets aren't able to upgrade, I think they need to go into the game with a better game plan. Obviously, it's going to be difficult given you know the players they had tonight. But you just can't allow Joel Embiid to be as comfortable as he was tonight.
1: Yeah, I thought that they needed to, to blitz him a lot more. Needed to and
2: throw. they did that in the first game against the Sixers, which is weird. They
1: did. Yeah, they did. They had a really good game plan there. And obviously, it was a completely different team. And all the superstars were out. It was, you know, Carice Verde, Jared Allen leading the, um, the, the Brooklyn Nest that night. So, obviously, complete, two completely different teams. And, yeah, it, it, it's, it was certainly odd, Nick. I think um, to, to see Joel B just sort of, you know, in the first quarter, I think he had like 15 points. And, you know, he was just having his way. And, you know, DeAndre, DeAndre Jordan isn't going to be a matchup you want against any superstar center, let alone one of the best ones in the league who is just carving up. Uh, defenses left, right, and center, and I think Joel Embiid is better at, at passing out of double teams, but it is something that it certainly makes anyone uncomfortable, you know, any big in the league, basically apart from Nikola Jokic, is going to struggle when you throw bodies at him.
2: Yeah, I agree, Jack, and like he, you like you mentioned, he's improved getting out of the double team, but he's not perfect, and I think that Sixers play enough players where you there's guys to cheat off of. Obviously, Ben Simmons not having a jump shot does a good job kind of hanging around that dunker spot, but... You know, I think there's other guys where you can kind of attack it or just make sure you're, you know, having better rotations out there where they're just not getting in the spots that he wants to get in. I felt like he was able to just find his rhythm and not really get challenged. And, you know, some of that's DeAndre Jordan and some of that's just the Nets game plan. And some of that's Joel Embiid just being, like you mentioned, you know, arguably the best center in the league.
1: That's it at the end of the day. So, look, I I didn't necessarily, I I expected Joel Embiid to have a a big performance, but, you know, it it seemed to come with ease and he could have, he could have dominated even more if if he truly wanted to but he yep. was it, it just looked like he wasn't even you know breaking a sweat out there
2: yeah no he wasn't really in full grind mode i think like i said it was kind of easy for him the 14 free throw attempts kind of signals a lot like he got the nets on a lot of pump fakes pivot moves whatever it was they were kind of biting at everything and there was a couple times where they were just kind of caught in between in a double team and that's just kind of the worst spot you can be in you know what i mean it's like send the full double team or just kind of help off and live with the results and you know i think just the nets were out of sorts in general defensively offensively especially like you mentioned earlier in that third quarter where they just got abused and it felt like they lost their rhythm offensively. Then defensively, they just stopped putting in effort.
1: Yeah, that third quarter, forty-three to thirty. You know, the Nets are an offensive, uh, offensively driven. Their identity is offense, and when they're not hitting shots, and uh, I think that the it, it seems slow uh, in that third quarter in terms of you know, getting into sets, getting the ball moving. Whereas when the ball was fizzing around a little bit, you know there was penetration from James Harden. Maybe the fact that he wasn't getting calls stopped him from from trying to you know get into the paint and look. The Nets and do a good job of getting into the paint themselves or protecting the paint for that reason. You know they uh, lost the ascendancy, sixty to thirty-eight points in the paint. Uh, I think any team in the league and you know Toronto Raptors did a good job of it uh, as well the other night as well uh, last night, funnily enough. Um, so I think that that is going to be the game plan on the Brooklyn Nets until they can. You know, change it until they can be better at defending the paint. You know, that's what you got to do. And, you know, the best defensive teams in the league are generally good at protecting the paint.
2: Yeah, and I think a lot of it was the offensive rebounds tonight. You know, Tobias Harris was able to kind of live in there four offensive rebounds, three for... Uh... Uh, for Ben Simmons, two for Joel Embiid, two for Shake Milton. like, just across the board, they're able to get the offensive rebounds, and a lot of it was just, like, the Nets not boxing out and not that group rebounding, and obviously not having Kevin Durant, obviously the best player on the team, but also one of the only forwards and one of the tallest players in the team, hurts in the rebounding department, too. And when they're forced to play so small, they really need to put in that extra effort with the box outs and the group rebounding. And tonight, there was a couple plays where they would do the box out portion, but then they wouldn't have the effort to chase the ball down.
1: Basically, you know, 51-34, to 34, they lost uh, the boards there in 13-8, as you mentioned, a couple of guys there uh, on the offensive last. So, look, I think that the Nets, when they lack the star talent, need to bring what they brought in, in periods of that second yep. quarter, out-hustle, out-effort the other teams. That's what teams that, you know, you look at the Cleveland Cavaliers and you look at the, the New York Knicks, these teams are out-hustling and, you know, showing extra energy Whereas the Nets still think like, oh, we still got James Harden. You know, that's enough for us to sort of get by this team. And look, there were points during the night where that was the case, but you need to have that combined level of effort and talent at the same time, especially when there isn't the extra two of the 12 best players in the league also playing for your team. So uh, I think that there was the identity for the team tonight, Nick. You know, the Nets play maybe, I don't know, eight to 10 minutes of good basketball out of the 48 tonight, and that's not going to get it done against the... one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference and one of the best teams in the league.
2: Yeah, and I think kind of what you're alluding to, Jack, is some, some of the role players need to play like role players and understand what their role is on this team and what they're good at and where they can excel. And obviously, it's hard when your team identity is changing from one night to another. But I think as professionals, you need to understand that. Like, hey... We're not going to win tonight because we don't, like you said, have two of the top 12 players in the league and arguably two of the top seven offensive players in the league, if you want to look at it that way, with just the way these guys have been scoring this year and not having them out there, we're going to have to grind the game out a little bit more. You know, we're probably not going to score 120 against a good Philadelphia team. We're going to have to earn this one, get to the free throw line, grind things out, and really, you know, force Philly to make tough plays. And like you said, for eight to 10 minutes in this game, I thought they did that and they really made them earn their points and then other stretches, they just got lazy on both ends of the floor, and it just next thing you knew, it was a Philadelphia 14 point run.
1: Yeah, exactly, Nick. And I think any teams that have size and physicality are going to uh, make it tough for the Nets. And you know, coming up against the Lakers in a couple of weeks' time or in a, in a bit over a week's time, you know, I think that's going to be a really challenging matchup, despite the fact that the Nets have performed well against the better teams in the league. So, uh, and in talking about those role players, Nick, TLC, we saw Tyler Johnson get his first sort of meaningful stretch of minutes. Um, uh, What did you think of both of those guys tonight?
2: Yeah, I think both guys honestly had rough nights. You know, Tyler Johnson maybe can get somewhat of a pass because he hasn't really played, but like that's just a life in the NBA. You know, when you get your minutes, you're going to have to shine. And there was just kind of moments where, he just didn't look like he was ready to play in this type of a role on a championship team. And and I've never come on here trying to like disrespect a player or anything like that, but I just, I'm not sure he's up to the standard and what Nets need. And obviously, like I said, some of that could be, he hasn't played a lot this season and it's hard to ask a guy to do that. But again, that's what life is in the NBA is of a 13th player, 14th player and TLC like shows you the nice flashes, but it's kind of the lack of basketball IQ plays. You know what I mean? There's just like a couple pass passes in this game and it's like, yo, man, like, what are you doing? Or Joe Harris giving him a dribble handoff. It's like, how are you not paying attention? You're in an NBA game. And there was even another possession on the defensive end of the floor where he's guarding Seth Curry. The ball is literally on the other side of the floor, and somehow he loses Seth Curry. Like, I'm just not sure where the focus is in in an NBA game. Like, you're getting paid over a million dollars to play basketball.
1: Yeah, I mean, the awareness of TLC is something uh, that we we harp on quite consistently on the buzz. And... You know, he's bipolar play on both ends of the floor. You know, t- Tyler Johnson, look, uh, I know we've advocated for him on, on, on certain occasions to get some minutes. Some people were saying, you know, Chris Chioza should be getting minutes over him. I think <laughs> at the end of the day, if you're arguing between Tyler Johnson and Chris Chioza, uh, then what is the point of the argument in the first yeah. place, to be honest, because it, it's all null and void at the end of the day. But yeah, I think you make a good point there, Nick. And look, uh, I think the Nets are going to struggle until they do find rotation guys that know that and, look, uh, I think that it, for a championship team, you need to have vet minimum guys, you know, because there's such inflated salaries for for the three superstars. You know, you've got Jeff Green. There's a tick. You've got Joe Harris, who's sort of that sort of mid-range contract. There's a tick. Spencer did what he's there. And, obviously, I think we we heard news from Woj that there are teams interested in acquiring him to, you know, uh, uh, to get his bird rights. And is that an asset uh, that the Nets choose to use for... A Thaddeus Young, a PJ Tucker, a whoever else going forward. I, I don't know, but the Nets do need to upgrade this roster, and and it was it's a shame because at the early points of this season, we were raving about the the Nets depth and the, and the amount of guys who had played starter minutes. And look, uh, TLC and then Tyler Johnson, those are guys that you know. While we were talking about Landry Sherman, it's like yeah, this guy we think can be there. He can be an eight to ten guy in the rotation contributing in regular season and if there's injuries here or there and and maybe even pinch hitting for some offensive lineups. But uh, I don't think TLC, uh, unless he, and look, I'll be happy to be proven wrong. I just think that the consistency that we need out of role plays, you know, him and Tyler Johnson aren't going to provide it.
2: Yeah, I think Tyler Johnson, there's more of a verdict because he's had a longer opportunity in the NBA and we've kind of seen who he is and, you know, he's playing at this level. You know, maybe it makes sense to include him in a trade, even if it's a small upgrade that you can make, or maybe you end up cutting him and trying to bring in a true NBA veteran that's, you know, has championship or playoff experience. And then TLC, like you said, like TLC is okay to be on your roster if he's not in your rotation because he... He has talent. His feel for the game just isn't there yet. You know what I mean? Like, his basketball IQ isn't there yet. And he just makes so many plays where you can tell it frustrates the stars to, like, the highest extent. You know what I mean? Like, he's just the type of guy that you just don't want to have in a playoff game because he can just make that crucial mistake. And to be honest, we saw him make the crucial mistake in the Washington game where— Everything kind of went perfect for him to have the game-winning layup, and he missed. And and like I said, like TLC is a raw player. He still has plenty to learn. He'd make more sense on the Nets of two years ago than this team that's trying to win a championship.
1: Yeah, you need you need reliability out of out of your role players, and I don't think the Nets have that in TLC or Tyler Johnson. Whereas you know Bruce Brown to uh, to a, to an extent, and um, Jeff Green to a greater extent. And even to a very minor extent, Landry Shamet. Do you think, Nick, that shump? But obviously we heard Steve Nash said before the game that he's unlikely to play. Do you think we'll see him play against the Detroit Pistons, if not against the Pacers? And do you think he deserves to get in the rotation, either ahead of TLC, ahead of Tyler Johnson, um, just to see what he can provide?
2: Yeah, I think he'll probably play Tuesday. I would assume so, especially with some of the injuries and Kevin Durant still being out. And hey, these guys didn't play well you know, you want to give somebody else an opportunity. And Shumpert is a vet. He understands some of the basic things. I think he has a better basketball IQ than a guy like TLC and probably Tyler Tyler Johnson. So why not give him some run out there? I think the one benefit, and we talked about this with TLC, is that the reason that he keeps getting minutes is that he's just a little bit bigger than some of these guys. And the Nets can put him on a forward where, you know, like Tyler Johnson, Landry Shamit just doesn't have that size. That's why, like, we talked about it when Amon Shumpert signed, like, we were advocating for another forward to be brought in so they have an option to put TLC on the bench if he's not playing well because it's almost like positive reinforcement. Like, even if he doesn't play well, TLC's still getting minutes. Like, he played 33 minutes tonight. Some of that is garbage time, but even if it was a normal game, he's still probably playing 20.
1: Yeah, and he started uh, as well. So, look sometimes they say nick size does matter and in, in this uh in, this in the occasion, nba it does <laughs> hey in, the, in other avenues certain avenues of life it may or may not decide uh, <laughs> i think it's about how he uses that size and right now tlc isn't using that size very well
2: yeah i think it's just a lack of basketball iq i guess let's talk james harden a little bit we kind of mentioned him early on but 26 points 10 assists eight rebounds 10 and 20 from the field three of eight from three uh did have two turnovers but you know, I thought James Harden played pretty well considering what he had out there. And if the Nets were able to knock down a couple more shots, he's probably finishing with 15 assists. And if he completes his game, it's probably a 30-point triple-double.
1: Yeah, I thought that James Harden was, you know, the, the, what we expect out of James Harden. You know, I, I think that he has diversified his game to be uh, a bit more, not passive, but a bit more teammate-centric. And, and there were times tonight where he's just like, you know what? I right, got drill and B. I'm gonna hit a step back to Rini's face, and and that was fun. I, I thought those yep. possessions were really good. And the only turnovers that he did have was when you know he had Mateeshaible or Ben Simmons hounding him, and their size and and their length certainly can give anyone troubles out there. But you know James Harden's gonna do James Harden things. He's continuing to show consistency, and um, he's fitting into the team incredibly well. And um, his acclamation is is basically complete. We know what we want out of James Harden. We know what we expect. And like you mentioned, Nick, if. Uh, you had uh, Kevin Randall, Kyrie Irving out there. I think that those assist numbers certainly increase, And I think he rebounds the ball a little bit better. Uh, I think, you know, and maybe the, the scoring certainly decreases. But, yeah, I think tonight we might have needed, you know, a 40-point triple-double out of him. But uh, at the same time, you, you can't argue what he produced tonight.
2: Yeah, and I think it's, like, easy to just kind of be like, hey, yeah, James Harden, let's drop a 50-piece or a 45-piece that we saw in Houston and just, like, turn it on. But I think sometimes it's like, okay, like, it actually takes effort. And like you mentioned, Matisse Stiebel, Ben Simmons, and some of the adjustments Philadelphia was making, giving him more attention and just kind of limiting what he could do with the other nets were out there. I thought, you know, he did the best that he could with the supporting cast he had tonight.
1: Uh, Nick, what did you think of uh, my boy Joey Bucket's game tonight?
2: I thought Joe Harris was solid tonight. You know, nine from the field, two or three from three. Philadelphia did a pretty good job chasing him off the line and making his life a little bit more difficult. You know, thought defensively did solid. You know, there's a couple times he got beat off ball, but not the end of the world. So a good game for Joe. Nothing crazy, nothing bad.
1: Yeah, I thought his mid-range game, I thought, yep. looked really, really nice tonight. And I think he's becoming a, a three-level scorer, as we sort of alluded to what you want out of guys you want basketballers you don't want sort of just hyper role players and joe harris is uh diversified and and grown into a player that you know if he gets put pushed off the three-point line he's not going to be duncan robinson and, and and just be extremely limited you know we know he knows how to drive and he's added that mid-range game to to his uh, to his arsenal and you know he knows how to find his spot there and i thought he did a really good job of that and despite only playing 22 minutes i think it's a nice little rest for him and then hopefully we we getting going against the Pistons and all the Pacers.
2: Yeah, I feel like, you know, I think it's Jeff Grin and Joe Harris that lead this team in minutes played this year. Even though the Stars have had the big outputs, they haven't played as many games. So like you said, get Joe some rest, especially in a game where he'd probably get beat up a little bit going against some of these bigger bodies. Hopefully, you know, I think against Detroit, he should be able to get some more open looks.
1: Definitely, definitely. They're, they're, they're a faster team. I think they're better than what their record does indicate, Nick, but... I wanted to ask you about my best friend and fellow tweeting confidant in Kevin Durant about the news relating to him today, Nick. We saw from Shams reports the fact that he is going to be out for seven days uh, due to the contact that he had from the the employee at the Brooklyn Nets. Now, they basically said that they weren't wearing face masks in the car to and from the game. Who knows who that staff member was? I took an estimated guess based off some other people, what they said it could be uh, one of the drivers, or, or some people were saying a physical therapist. I have no idea, but at the end of the day, the the, the main news is that we aren't getting Kevin Durant back until uh, he he faces his former team again in the Golden State Warriors uh, in the game on Saturday.
2: Yeah, I mean, the I guess I'll try to look at it from like the glass being half full. Would be you know, Katie get some extra rest for that Achilles. He's been playing so well, you know, you're keeping him well rested. But it sucks in terms of you know winning games because. You know, the Nets lost by, what, 12 points tonight or whatever it was. Like, having Kevin Durant, obviously, is a big factor in this game. Given the the roster and the issues they still have and it not being complete, missing your best player hurts more than normal. So you think there's an opportunity to win. Luckily, I think against Detroit, the Nets should still have enough talent to win. And even against the Pacers, I think they'll have an opportunity to compete long as Kyrie Irving plays in that second night of the back-to-back.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I think the Pacers' size has always troubled us even yep. you know in yesteryear. So I think that's going to be a tricky one. Funnily enough, though, Nick, I think tonight Kyrie Irving might have been, I'm not going to say a, a bigger loss, but I think that the, the, the 76ers struggle a little bit more at guarding those shifty guards and Kyrie Irving might be the shiftiest, most athletic guard in the league in terms of his ability to, to weave his way through angles. And they've always had a bit of trouble with that. You know, Ben Simmons is a guy who can switch one to five, but I think he's more comfortable, comfortable uh, on the bigger dudes and the sort of wing types and, you know, Matisse Thybulle, similar. So I, I think his loss was pronounced. And in relation to Kevin Durant, look, Free7 is still uh, alive and well. Uh, I will save him. I promised I would, the, the tweet that I put out there. So I, I'm a man of my word, and I will free you, Seven. Uh, but hopefully, <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's, it, look, glass half full, like you mentioned, It get some games off, but uh, it, it's still, we still haven't heard much about what this protocol is, and I, I get being erring on the side of safety, but coming around test negative a million times, uh, it, it's still something that does irk me. Maybe not as much as I was irked on the last podcast, but At least we have at least some semblance of clarification. Uh, It it still doesn't sit totally well with me, but um, look, it it is what it is.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's not really much that can really change about it now. So like you said, it is what it is. And I think, you know, given this type of situation, and I doubt this is going to be the last time the Nets have to deal with COVID throughout this season – I wouldn't necessarily get too worked up about the Nets' record. You know what I mean? I don't think they're a team that's like, "Hey, we need to have the best record in the NBA for us to win a championship." I think Steve Nash had a quote about a week ago saying they're kind of using it as a training camp. And we know Kyrie Irving's going to be rested at different points. James Harden probably won't be, but the Nets are going to take the cautious route. So this kind of just almost makes it easier for them to do that. We're being like, "Hey, we're you're, our players missing games. Katie had to miss X amount of games." Like we're not stressing in the regular season as much as, you know, some people probably want us to.
1: Yeah. I think it's going to be toughest for the Brooklyn Mets, Nick, because they have so many new pieces to, to acclimate and, and to establish their identity on both ends of the floor. Whereas, you know, the other contending teams, you know, the Bucks, they added Drew Holiday, you know, the, the Sixers are essentially the same team, but you're adding in, you know, Seth Curry and Danny Green, those guys are just role players. Um, and then you've got the Lakers who are just continuing their thing, the Utah Jazz and Monagas. All these teams have a, have a modicum of just uh, consistency and, and stability, whereas the Nets are having so many different things thrown their way. Um, it's it's got to be hard for Steve Nash, Sean Marks to sort of go, man, how are we going to deal with this? So I, I think that you know, the the inconsistency throughout this season, and you know we talked about in, in the preseason pods that you know which team deals with COVID and is least affected by COVID, will probably do the best. And look, the Brooklyn Nets at this early stage uh, have been affected by maybe more than any other team other than, you know, the Wizards, maybe the Memphis Grizzlies. But in saying that, um, hopefully this is just a, a blip in the radar and, and come the latter points of the season, you know, the the virus is not only under control for the Brooklyn Nets, but the the world at large and, and, and the country too.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I just, hopefully it's kind of more so something they deal with now. And like you said, in the second half of the season, they can kind of find their groove and their rhythm for the playoffs.
1: That's it. That's it.
2: Jack, anything else you want to touch on tonight? Or pretty much it was, you know, the Nets just didn't have enough talent in this one.
1: No, nah, uh, not enough, Nick. Not enough, uh, unfortunately, but... You know, I'm still getting some likes on the tweet about Kevin Durant, and um, 897 likes on one of 897, so I still feel pretty damn special.
2: That's good, Jack. That's the most important thing of the night, and uh, that wraps it up. Always a pleasure, and big thanks everybody for listening.
0: 47. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns, legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history